I would like to have the opportunity someday to introduce Ravan. But I really don't feel up to it today. So I won't do it. What I will do is try in uh, just a few sentences to introduce Ravana to what we are doing. Uh, all the people in this room are uh, <coughs> loosely stated educators. They all are involved with teaching Torah. And um, we have been meeting on a fairly regular basis throughout the year to discuss some of the issues that they find that, uh, or that we all find we confront uh, when we teach. Uh, some of those issues have to do with critical positions versus traditional textual analysis, um, whether it's proper or improper to deal with biblical personalities as uh, regular people, or whether they have to always be understood in heroic terms, whether the result of modern research of one kind or another is something that has to be taken into account, and if so, you know, how? I think in general, in general, um, we all feel, and I include myself, that our Torah education uh, did not necessarily prepare us for the most difficult level of teaching Torah, which is often the high school uh, level, because in high school, you can ask any question you want, and you get a variety of students. By the time you get to yeshiva, I think that there's a, some of the questions have been ironed out, and some of the people have been ironed out, so that what we would like to do is reflect our issues off of uh, Ravarim, given this opportunity, and uh, listen uh, to what, uh, what uh, you have to say. Uh, so we see this, we thought of this as being uh, an evening that would work with questions you know, and answers. Uh, we would ask the questions. So, uh, one question I would just, uh, I would just like to uh, uh, perhaps open by a question that is bothered uh, by something that seems to be, you know, uh, of interest that comes up again and again. And that has to do with the, uh, the way that you have to present uh, biblical personalities to, to students. I mean, are we obliged to present them in very heroic, monochromic kinds of, of ways? Or is it reasonable to see them reflecting some of the tensions that regular people uh, seem to have in our own uh, uh, in our lives. Do we bring the discourse down to the level of the students and try to relate the others, for example, to their own family issues, or do we uh, insist that the others, in some way, are a dimension apart, and that the uh, the students would therefore have to kind of raise themselves up to that level of uh, of discourse? whether they're interested in that or not. 
Let me just make one introductory comment since you mentioned something, something more dramatic. Uh, whatever response I'll make here is not meant to be monochromatic, and that in two senses. Number one, uh, uh, I don't think that the terror world is in any way monolithic, and what I have to say here is essentially a reflection of my own experience, my own tradition, uh, perhaps my own insights, and certainly uh, it's not meant to be presented as uh, the authoritative position. Uh, second, I think we've got some of the questions that will be reflected in response to this first one, that uh, that a particular question may itself be viewed from various perspectives. Uh, and uh, what I feed on naturally is a certain sense of complexity, and I think that certainly applies to the kind of issues that were mentioned by Prime in his introduction. I presume, with regard to the uh, question that you raised, you know very well that there are different uh, traditions with regard to this. And you mentioned the others particularly, I presume that uh, some here have, uh, have seen, and if you haven't, I think it would be worthwhile simply to get an idea of what a particular tradition is. Small Kuntus, which the Barakotus published many years ago, about how to learn, maybe how to teach, I don't know that type of it, Sefer uh, And uh, it is, uh, in essence, or almost in quintessence, a uh, summary of a certain tradition which uh, I suppose that our own minds is most closely associated with the Muslim movement, although it's a limited only to that. Uh, I said Muslim particularly because while that was not the only tradition which removed uh, stories that we have in Tanakh, personages we have in Tanakh, uh, from the world of ordinary human experience, uh, there it was done in a particular way. If one opens up this literature of Drush, the Mishnah's Parashas Drochim, the Aris Dvash of the Leibshitz, there you have what certainly strike us being very fanciful discussions, which no one would confuse with reality. And uh, at least we wouldn't, and we ask ourselves to what extent did the Mishnah confuse that with reality? Uh, in which, for instance, to take one of the central themes of Sporshas Dvachim, question which was discussed by the Ramban in a serious vein as a halachic issue. What was the status of the descendants of the others prior to Matan Teira? Certain areas of halachas, so <coughs> differences between halachas pertaining to the halach and the Israel. What was their status? The Ramban near the end of the Ramon deals with this Succinctly, Mishamar took this as a general theme, and then he gets, gets to work on this, and he presents this as being the subject of Machlekes between Pavel and Moshe Rabbeinu, and eventually between the Machashek and many other Malishan and the Benish Lelam about certain issues. Or if you take some of the discussions which the, the Yavis Vash has, uh, Megillah Sesto, what 
kind of straight halachic issues come up over there. I don't think that, uh, well, certainly we as they don't take that as a serious attempt to present a certain reading, but uh, we say, fine, it's an interesting tradition. Uh, from our point of view, it's some kind of gymnastic or pyrotechnic, but not beyond that. That's certainly not the way that Chachme Musa approached the, uh, the narrative whether in Precious and Shmos. And what see Shmos is a god which was published a few years ago at the Ballet Musa. Uh, you wouldn't begin to recognize anything that's set across the table at our center for what you see over there. And they presented a very etherealized uh, view of uh, the personages involved, in which anything which even came close to some literal and human interpretation was totally out of court. And everything is reduced as kind of dakus minadakus, and if you had a particular seeming flawed, after all, here you find that uh, came to chastise us. So it's not something which in our categories, in our terms, could be understood as such, but uh, it's something which is at an absolutely almost superhuman level. And uh, this is a tradition which was applied not only to the obvious, but uh, Beyond that, I recall the first year that I was in uh, YU, so I'd been in for four years previously, and just the year that I left, he then organized a group which he had the chidim that he wanted to develop, particularly, that was his forte, and every other Matzai Shabbos would come to his house, and he would go with Shmusen, which eventually became part of the Yitzvah. And uh, since I had left Yishu, they had gone to Shizu's Kachon, which was not exactly to his liking, but uh, still he kept me on. So I would stay afterwards for a little private discussion. So once he asked me, uh, getting out of the so I mentioned, he said, yes, what's going on there? And I said, what lesson Shkech used to have Shmus, and he had been a Talmud of the altar in Slabotkiv, and uh, carried with him uh, all of Slabotkiv he brought to Washington Heights, whether it fitted there or didn't, but that was part of his spiritual and emotional baggage. And once a week he said a Shmus, and so she asked me, what do you hear over there? So I said, uh, I talked to Master Shmuel, I said, he says, wait, Pretty soon you're going to hear, it's must be Pashtayil, Pashtayil, so pretty soon you're going to hear about Esav Atzadik. And uh, he said, uh, to understand, the way is going to be portrayed over there, uh, he said, what do you mean, Esav, which people hear about in kindergarten or in elementary school? That's, after all, what's the Yitzchak was so foolish? Just pull wool over his eyes, but he asked a few questions about the Basim and the and the Amelk. Well, we're going to be 
distinction. Some minor, minor flaw. You tell me what the Chaim says he remembers when Rabbi Zeshel was Hashim in heaven. He used to come to the Pasik the base of King Ramiot Ishimo. So he said he remembers of as he used to say, That's the way he expressed it. And uh, that's a tradition which uh, which has roots and of course for certain purposes is very useful. Uh, I think that we have a dual problem with that. So we probably don't see it around here. Uh, number one, that we question whether it's true. We're not inclined to believe that. In terms of understanding the Sukkim in here, the question of the extent to which you can allegorize, as it were, or ethereize the Sukkim comes up. But there's another point. The point is, Leaving aside the question of truth, even we were, we could bring ourselves to the point of assuming that the way that uh, the that whole tradition present uh, the obvious, and uh, the way that uh, let's take the temporary, but the chabalei was presented. That these are, from our point of view, in terms of the truth factor, equal. But what appeals to us more? What interests us more? Us as persons and us as teachers. Uh, we want not just models of something which is actually superhuman and to which we find it very difficult to relate because it's totally out of our purview. Uh, we want to have a sense of dealing with people, the world of emotions, the conflicts, the tensions, the inner drama. It's always much more interesting, much more challenging, and from our point of view, in many respects, even more worthwhile. Now this, of course, comes up in many, and, and hence, this is our predilection for this. If to take one parish and he described uh, different views, particularly of the Akedah. There's a large t- literature about the Akedah, so you're familiar with the Akedah, is written on this extensively. But different ways, how to present what the Rav will feel those three days. In general, what was his response? And of course, uh, from point of view of the super perfectionist, so uh, have some kind of some kind of reservation, some kind of tinge, uh, some human feeling of being asked to give up his only son. That was a, that small change. Uh, that's it. So you said for me so that's That was one view, and then he spoke. So the doctor presented that he mentioned this was one view. He spoke to you about the Muslims in this respect, and then of course they have to look for some very fine <coughs> details, some nicety of uh, expression which do not have 
too much emotion about it. Or to have a sense of a person who, of course, is a couple of is going to do it. But uh, nevertheless, find himself at one level, even the torn and uh, various emotions within him. Now here, uh, I presented this, of course, the Muslim approach at one end, as opposed to one which acknowledges the more human dimension of the other. Of course, where we stand, we have to cope not only with the world of Muslim, we have to cope with, uh, with Charles Nestor, we have to cope with the, the world which is out there, and which, uh, for whom the sense that claim of David, David Khatan will tell you anything even remotely approached that is totally unintelligible, that which reads everything in absolutely purely literal sense. That is something which we both dare not do, may not do, and don't want to do. Mention was made before about criticism. Biblical criticism started in the 19th century. Well, it didn't quite start there, but began to gather momentum in the middle of the 19th century. Uh, it didn't all have to do with tearing apart the text. Much of it had to do with tearing apart the people. Uh, in England, particularly, but it was only in England. Uh, it was the Milner published a book in 1839, which, in fact, uh, said to the Christian world, there's a problem of being so excited about some Arab sheik. And the sense that this is all the, the obvious word, uh, not to mention, you know, to go to town, which they think is morally problematic, as we got to the prayer of the activation, etc., that uh, for us, undercuts certain respects of citizen not only because it is so variant from the sale of Chazal, which was this critical, but because uh, it is at variance with what is central to our experience and to our sense what Knesset is all about. That's all the obvious words. What we say the Catholic for Yaakov three times a day. So, of course, the sense that these are very plain, very ordinary people, and sometimes questionable people, which is what much of the secular world entertains, that to us is absolutely anathema. And I think that we want to find ourselves in some kind of immediate position, which certainly does ascribe a level of feeling, emotion, and human dimension, sense of tension, confidence, as I mentioned before, even to the great, which acknowledges that they're great, but acknowledges also that the great can at times, in one respect to another, falter. But it's very important to understand what is the quality and substance of the faltering when it does take place. I think that was by and large the tradition of Balea Medlish and of uh, those that to great extent were guided by their spirit, not necessarily literally, instead of Suki, uh, which uh, 
amongst Rishayim, I think more than anyone else is the Ramban, amongst the very Mephoshim, which are close to the Shemesh world, was the Netziv. Uh, in both of those, I think it's that sense that you have of greatness, but center of very human greatness. This is very, very important, particularly about the celebration of the nation before, because it's there that the interpersonal elements, the family dynamics, uh, all of these come up. Although not, not only there. Certainly if one is speaking in various contexts of the experience of Meshach uh, as a as a human figure, and the Midrashim are, yeah, are full of this. Uh, there too, that, uh, that sense is important. Now, there are people uncomfortable with this for obvious reasons. They think that we are cutting them down somehow to our size. I don't think that needs to be the case, neither for our souls nor, nor for our students. The right of students we have a problem because uh, the very feeling of awe and reverence is one which, uh, by and large, the culture, the general culture within which they find themselves, does not encourage. Without well, a question of reverence for A, reverence for B. Uh, hero worship is not one of the strong points of, uh, of the current scene. Uh, in many areas, you know, the debunking, the continuation of the stretchy position of biography, a lot of us, you know, postmodern talk about uh, Whitley cutting a few things down. Anyway, uh, even in terms of national history, it's in terms of personal history. And we have a task, not only getting them to have reverence for, for, for our voice, but simply that reverence should be part of the emotional and spiritual baggage, which in many cases it's not. Uh, that's something which I think, as Mechanfim, we, we need to work. But in some, I think that uh, it's certainly legitimate, I'd say beyond that, necessary out of commitment, both the truth and to our own ability to relate uh, to the personages, uh, but at the same time, uh, communicating that what we say, we say in awe and reverence, uh, but, uh, but yet we're able to to have a sense of awe for, for those who are great, as great people, and not necessarily as lesser angels, which is the way that in many respects they're presented within the Musavir tradition. Some feel this in some respect presumptuous. Uh, I remember some years back, uh, speaking to the some question came up with a particular person, uh, a mode of interpretation, and he said, fine, certainly it's traditional, it's good, but, you know, he said, the Smedish, which I came from, we're not accustomed to talking about Shabbat, he fought like this, and he fought like that, uh, you know, he was uncomfortable with it. Of course, anybody who was born in the shadows of love, uh, that was grist for his mill, Russia's particularly sense of feeling one way, feeling another way. And I say again, uh, this is the tradition of the Midrashim. Coming back to the point of departure, this, I conclude this. 
Rebbein, in that Pushula path that I mentioned, he draws upon Midrash, but he does so very, very selectively. And of course, what you have in the Midrash many times is, if you deal with the literal element, tremendous latitude as opposed to Shat, as opposed to Allah. Uh, where sometimes uh, figures that we like to think of being very positive represent the more negatively and the reverse. So if you just decide to be selective, you can find various parshas, throughout say fabricious, very much idealizing and theorizing the figures. Uh, but if you take the whole range of Medlish, and particularly the hypothetical discourses which happened about Abedish, what Moshe said to Abedish, what he said to Adin, etc. There's so much there which is pregnant with human emotion, human feeling, and I think that we both can and ought to communicate something of that. But say again, being certain that we maintain the sense of awe and the, of reverence, which is, which is critical. There are members uh, here of both of our faculty and, of course, the, the fellows in the, in the program. So we thought we would initially take some questions from the, from the fellows. Well, this is essentially a follow-up question. I was going to ask about the Google personalities um, and then continue to ask um, how Ivan um, would relate to younger children. Since we live in such an open community where we encourage questioning and challenging and critical thinking, uh, would Rubenstein believe that when you're educating younger children, we should perhaps shelter them a little more, not encourage this type of critical approach to be evoked? Um, would you encourage sending them let's say, to schools which are more yeshivish, let's say, in their youth? Um, or do you think that it's appropriate, even at a young age, to start educating them to be more critical? It, essentially, what I'm asking is, how does Ryan think that the best way to instill Yerat Shammai in, in our community? I mean, how do we instill that reverence? How do we relate to our, our, youngest, our youngest? First, I'll just make a brief comment in relation to the formulation of the question. Somebody once called up the Rav, it's Yiddish. He said, we would like to have a Shia. So Rav's response forgot the Shia was, don't like when a person refers to himself in the plural and to me the third person. <laughs> so don't refer to me the third person. Uh, I don't think this question is sitting in isolation uh, as if it's this own question, how what do we do when we're discussing the others? The question is sitting in Yashamayim. It's a question which comprehends the totality of the educational experience that we're trying to engender whole world of values that we're trying to build. And of course we are, in many cases uh, we have to cope with all kinds of other influences uh, as I mentioned before. Uh, I would not isolate this particular element. Uh, I think if you have a climate within which uh, there's a sense that the awe is there, the shrine is deep, not saying that would encourage someone to begin asking why did someone throw out the Shemar? I don't think that. But on the other hand, if the question were raised, I wouldn't say shake it's a race from that. Uh, 
the uh, there is a certain uh, certain age, a certain aspect of childhood, early youth, which you want to be an age of wonder, something of you want to have something of the romantic sense, certainly at that age, it's an age of magic, which White and Olsen says imagination should flourish rather than critical evaluation. And part of this, call it even romanticized, uh, what's Dunstan defined romanticism as the renaissance of wonder. And we want to have something of that sense of wonder. I don't think that we need to rush to, to tamper with it. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in due time, uh, the it's going to happen in any event. Uh, but I have a shaita. I think it's important whenever the question is raised, and this is true with regards to some other issues as well, I think it's important that a student should not sense that somebody, he or she, just throw a curveball that is absolutely throw the teacher for a loop. Uh, throw it, like, ask the question, uh, whatever either of their own questioning, or because they wrestled them somewhere, and that you never thought of it, and somehow that they, they've been able to recommend what about the whole tradition. That needs to be avoided, and of course, if such a court comes up, uh, you know, maybe to give it a certain degree of legitimization, if it's presented with respect. Uh, but, making clear that the degree of legalization that you have is within certain parameters, within a certain context of idealization and of, uh, of awe. Within that, you understand that someone's perturbed by certain things. He wants to ask certain questions. Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't run to, to do that uh, I don't know what age group you're talking about, but I before mentioned high school age particularly. Imagine by the time people in the middle of high school, many of the obvious questions are going to be asked in any event. Uh, the, sometimes people feel it's good to arouse questions uh, out of a sense that if you don't do it now, so the question will come up later and you won't be around to answer it. Certain things that's probably true. I don't think with regard to this, the question is fairly obvious. So I wouldn't rush. I wanted to ask the Rav um, what the ambit of the Ethikar Vamino was. Is um, was when the Rambam uh, was Kovea, the Torah Moshe is Torah Moshe. Is it being Kovea historical fact? Is that an absolute? Um, is that uh, due to a certain community? Um, I, I don't necessarily mean in terms of Torah I mean in terms of the, the Rabbi Kiva Eger was the, the Masach and Sofrim. Uh, speaking in that context, is the, uh, I'm sure I understand the question. question is whether the Ramah was aware of the fact that there were certain different traditions with regard to certain points. Whether when the Rambam said what the Rambam said, he meant it as a kfiyah absolute, absolute um, as a matter of historical fact, that Torah Moshe is Torah Moshe, and that's what we all should believe. 
as opposed to what alternative is this thing? That there are... Um, it's not a historical fact, is it? It's something which normatively you want, you want, he wants you should accept, even though it's not historically true, is that I, I hesitate to offer another interpretation, whatever the, the appropriate interpretation is. I'm, I'm wondering what the appropriate interpretation is. I think this question, you have to differentiate between two elements. Uh, certainly with regard to Terum and Hashemayim, a particular text of Torah, that is not an innovation of the Ramans. It's part of the Messias Yisrael and the Daily And the Mars is very, <coughs> very clear with the God. That's the questions we raised at all. This to be thrown back from the Raman to the Chazal. This was not an innovation of the Ramans. If you ask, uh, would one who only saw the Rambam be uh, in on the, uh, the quote-unquote secret that there are nevertheless some uh, variants, would you know that Rabbi Kivegev in, uh, in Shabbos and, and the like? I suppose the answer is no. He probably would not. Uh, he probably would get a sense of a more absolutely monolithic uh, text uh, than uh, I suppose somebody would didn't know that from Kivega or new, new similar things uh, would get. But I think that uh, no, that's not something which should in any way seriously undermine the overall position which you have in the Rabbah, which you have in Chazal. That there were here and there differences that Chazal certainly put on the table, uh, said that at least from the founder of the Azore, two of them said, Mo'onayinu kekeadam, one said, Mo'onayinu kekeadam, and people said, So they knew that. Now there, you have a reference to a particular textual variant, that a particular said that was dealt with. Uh, but once you acknowledge that there had been a particular variant with regard to one point. So that doesn't preclude the possibility that some scribe at some other place is also going to write instead of Ma'on or something similar, and that something like that can come up. Rishayim generally, of course, knew very well that uh, there were different traditions with regard to certain things, of and they, they mention this uh, freely, the Shemim and Mitchell Kivegim, but if you look at the Shemim in the beginning of Sanhedrin, it talks about Yeshua Mikreshim and so that, and there also there's some variants from our, from our text, and the Shemim raises, and they say, well, there was an Eastern tradition and a Western tradition, and there were variants. And uh, that was known throughout the ages, uh, I forget. Who was this this volume that the author has formed put us some years ago about a scholarship and study? Somebody there has has a piece which goes through a great deal of the the tradition with regard to that, the literature. That was known. uh, Now, and and that I said in the Ramat, the best of every collection, that doesn't come up. I don't know that. 
hazarding a guess. I don't know to what extent the Rambam was f- familiar with this and Sivan didn't incorporate it or not. The impression I have is that the Rambam clearly did enter this area. Those are the details and which safely followed, which traditionally followed. I think it's clear that he knew there was another tradition, but he adopted that. How he would regard the other tradition, whether he would regard that as heretical, I or simply as a machlaikis, you know, as you have another. That I uh, I couldn't hazard I would not want to hazard a guess about. Uh, but I think that well, you know, do we communicate this again, dealing with the educational issue? Do we and ought we communicate this to our students? Uh, I don't think we run around telling them this, although today anybody who, who's got a, uh, you know, it's not unlike his, when I was your age, so people had a letters, uh, Tanakh, and uh, no point there did you have uh, variants. So people do this. So Adak and Aleph and Hey and maybe the new Vayib and Rabbi and that was about it. But today, if you pick up uh, Boyer's, uh, you know, the ones today stand, Boyer's Tanakh or the Korean Tanakh, the back they've got a whole list of them. So imagine <laughs> a, 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 an intelligent high school students who've been around may be aware of this. Uh, there is. Maybe some educational danger in letting people in on this and mentioning this while there was such such variance. But then, of course, you have the opposite danger. And this is I mentioned before. Supposing that you've got someone who sails straight through high school and he or she is under the impression that nowhere, at no time historically, were there any variant readings in, uh, in Tanakh, in Chumash particularly? And all of a sudden they go off to college somewhere, they, hear the, they take a course, they hear this, they hear that, uh, and it strikes them uh, blind, blindsided. Uh, they can lose the whole of uh, the whole of and if they knew that this had really been discounted, so to speak, uh, in our Ramuna, in fact, it is, they find it less problematic. How far one wants to go in regard to this question of variance, uh, of course, that depends on how one takes the Shagasalia. The Gemara Kedushin says that uh, we've lost count, we've lost track, we're not the key, but Chaseli, Yateli, and Therefore, we don't know exactly where the midpoint of the is in terms of letters. The Shagisai took that very, very literally, and he says that it's Manaseh, why don't people write about writing Sifatim and Kaim Vimitsu? Because, anyways, you can't do Kaim Vimitsu, we don't have the correct text. So, because we don't know, and therefore we can't do Kaim Vimitsu. Atkadekach. The Rav thought that was absolutely, totally inconceivable. He, uh, he, has, he gave a more specialized and narrow interpretation of the Gemara. Uh, but there you have uh, 
much more open kind of acceptance uh, of this point. Whether the Rambam would have gone along with this, I think is questionable. And uh, again, from an educational point of view, perhaps if the Shagasai were writing uh, after Wellhausen instead of before, uh, might have been more restrained in taking that particular position. Maybe not, but he was a very bold person. <coughs> Thank you. I'm just wondering, um, we've been discussing this now, in terms of the, uh, the education of kids, if we just move on a little bit beyond that, think about the education of the kids themselves. To what extent should the issues discussed, issues which may be, uh, to a large extent, uh, conflicting with the traditional Jewish approach, be mentioned in the syllabus of Mulchamkin in order that the Fahot they will know and then decide A, how to handle B, get to handle You have to treat this like the two separate components. A, to what extent do you think this is a valuable part of the education of the Mechanchim, not as Mechanchim, simply as individuals? Is that going in some way to enrich them? Will it stimulate them? Will it sharpen their insights in some way? Uh, leaving aside their professional preparation. And secondly, in terms of the professional aspect, of the kind of pre-professional training, is that important? There are people who feel, with regard to the first question, surprising as it may sound to some of us, that there is value in that per se. Uh, if you look, you know, today, you know, we're accustomed primarily, we think of conflicts, we think mostly of historical and factual issues. Now let's look back at the Shem's times. History then was not uh, the queen of the many sciences that is today, social sciences that is today. They weren't too worried about the natural sciences, so what was the great enemy? The enemy was philosophy. And philosophic speculation, doubt, uh, that's, where, that's where the problems lay. Nevertheless, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, and to some extent the Rambam, although he's not as aggressive in pushing this position of Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, Rabbi says very, very clearly, both in his Akdome and in the Shara Yichud, that faith which has not coped with the issues, which has not put on the table the most basic of religious tenets, the existence of the Benish That's a shallow kind of faith. If you've got a strong faith, then you've got to start from ground zero, and you've got to put the arguments on one side, the arguments on the other side, and after you work through, through all of that, then you're going to be a much better mind that a person simply believes because of tradition or because of social conformity, etc. Uh, there are people who think that something of the same is true with regard to you know, some of the issues which tend to be more problematic today. And that one will have a sharper sense, perhaps, of the uh, understanding of Tanakh in certain respects if he knows uh, more about archaeology in comparison of uh, we have in the with the early Semitic religions, 
etc., etc. Or, if one takes, you know, the approach which Mordechai's popularizes certain circles that sort of take the documentary hypothesis and you are Megayirit and the Kabbalistic Nikve and then, uh, then you make use of all kinds of insights which flow from there. That is one position. Now those who argue against that uh, do so for two reasons. Either because they think that intrinsically the Tzmimis is, is really better than, than the confrontation. You don't want to have any, any shadow of a doubt which should come for a moment. Remember, of course, I once mentioned to them exactly which Pasuk it was, but uh, Pasuk and Tilim, which uh, somehow came out that in terms of the sheer simple shot, <coughs> took the vog, uh, transferred it from the end of the puzzle, the beginning of the puzzle, vice versa. Somehow it uh, it came out uh, to a better shot. And he asked his father about this. His father apparently thought he had read this somewhere, and uh, he told me his father's response to him was that. Uh, Curse, some very sharp term he used about the author of that particular word, as for a minute of the topic of a dying cop. One single moment he defiled your, your spirit. And this is a general question, just, you know, what kind of a moon you consider to be, you know, are you sort of, uh, That's without idealizing uh, doubt, but at least recognizing that that which has coped and overcome is better than that which has you know, not coped at all. So, this is one question. What kind of memory do you think is better? And then the other, of course, is the question that uh, what are the risks that are being run? And somebody might say, perhaps you're right. I mean, Mechai is correct after you've put all the arguments on the table and you've argued the theistic and atheistic agnostic positions, and then you remain a firm theist, you're going to be more of a theist that's full and richer than if you had not. But, me, Yitkala knew that you're not going to fall out of bed somewhere along the route. And that, of course, is a possibility which Rabbi Bechayi, by and large, didn't consider, and that's because, you know, living in an age of faith, when Skepticism is about as an aberration. Uh, the, uh, the prospect that somebody actually would lose his faith along the way is one which he did not entertain seriously. And uh, likewise, you know, the Kuzari, where you have you know, this quasi Platonic dialogue, but you know, even in Plato, it's. Uh, it's <laughs> It's framed, but they are like scum of a chan. Of course, the modern period, that's not so. The modern period, we all know people who started maybe the route that you mentioned and somewhere along the way were affected. So that's one point. And the other is in terms of the professional education. The professional education, I think, 
itself needs to be considered with an eye to two elements. Uh, there probably is a certain depth, intensity of uh, passion, of commitment, of total certitude that uh, can be brought to a person who's teaching uh, if uh, he's never heard or read anything which seriously entertains an opposing position and uh, which therefore can enable him to the extent that he relates to such a question as being some form of of dimension. He can probably bring something of that force to bear which a person who of course is a mining and is committed but he's read the arguments this way, the arguments that way, he knows this hypothesis, that hypothesis. Uh, he, he's totally committed, but he doesn't think that the people who are not are off the wall. But the other flip side of that, of course, is that he's got this total certitude that indeed, as I mentioned before, the minute he gets a question, he doesn't want to feel it. And uh, then, we want to prepare people in advance for possibly handling such questions. I don't think you want to prepare them to handle every question that's going to come up. Every possible question we're going to ask if I read the ICC. But I think that many, many students, the support is not necessarily the answers you're going to give them. What's important is the sense that somehow they recognize that you're aware of them, and uh, you remind me that you should remember you're fully related to the tradition, nonetheless. And if they have some positive relation to you, that is going to be, in some respect for you, not only personally, intellectually, that is going to be far more important than any particular answer you give them. As long as they send somebody you come to terms with, you give yourself answers which satisfy you one plane or another, which <coughs> you continue living a fully committed life, that is an important thing. Now, if they sense that these questions have never occurred to you, they may continue to esteem you as a fine, naive, upstanding person. They may even envy your naivete. But they'll find it much more difficult to go along with you because they will feel that some of the sophistication, the depth, the knowledge is out there with the critical people. These are fine, they tailor, fine, abeir, but they haven't seen the light. For them it's not never, but for the students' point of view it is. So from that point of view, if you're going to be dealing with that kind of student population, I think that it is important that they sense, and every so often it's even valuable to throw out some hint, uh, let them know that you've heard about the problems of the first two parking in Breishis. Not that this is some sudden, some discovery to get hit upon. Uh, but of course 
some extent, if someone is drawing up a syllabus for, for teachers, you have to weigh. I mentioned the first point I discussed the possible benefits as opposed to the losses. And if you assume that the first point itself is a net loss, then how is that way to give us possibly the net gain of the of the second? Uh, of course, you have to bear in mind that much depends on what kind of population you're going to be dealing with subsequently. Uh, I don't think I would give the same answer to someone who's dealing with the Haredi population as uh, someone who's dealing with the more open kind of population. Although there are some problems, we've got some of these issues in the community world as well, but I think there are not so much problems that have to do with the awareness of critical literature. There may be problems which are imminent uh, in the text. Uh, the man who taught me, once came to my house and he must speak to me. What is it? He says, you know, you have no idea what kind of problems we have with, our, with the kids that I'm teaching. So first one of them, he says, Kim, what's the business about Tzias Mitzrayim? He said, big shavach, little ben shavach. Imagine he said, it's, uh, this is what the kid asked him. Imagine he said, if I were to put your house on fire, in the middle of the fire, I come and extricate you. That's a shavach. He said, first he put me to Mitzrayim, and then he pulled them out. What's the... So I guess there must be some problems over there as well, but they're of a different order, and I certainly would not counsel the uh, people who are going to be teaching Haredi set up uh, to be acquainted themselves with some of this literature. There's much of it, I, I would not advise people who are preparing themselves to teach that art to involve themselves deeply in this. I said, at least have some overview, some general conception of what is <coughs> critical people are talking about. That I think, sadly and unfortunately, probably at some point, because to have some awareness of that, particularly uh, historical. Um, I'd like to ask a general question about the place of Tanakh in the yeshiva curriculum, um, both elementary school and high school, and more particularly, if you see a difference between the place of Tanakh in a girl's curriculum and in the boys' curriculum, if so, how you would define that difference? I presume you know that place of Tanakh, uh, the world of, the world of yeshivas, uh, for centuries was uh, not, not very high. Uh, Eastern Europe particularly, I think in the Sephardi world was so. In the Sephardi world, to a great extent, uh, First, I think they were closer to the Council of Mishnin Ovois, uh, first mastering etc., than the Ashkazi world was. And uh, secondly, the mode of approaching it was very similar. There was a lot of memorization of Tanakh, a lot of memorization of Mishlais, and then some memorization of Gemara. But 
the Ashkenazi world uh, for centuries uh, was a relative neglect, including in the, the higher institutions, the yeshiva world. The rationale for that was varied. As some of it had to do with the fact that instead of Chazal was the case of Greece, particularly, or Gitten, that Greece mixed and it's that was the focus. Some of it had to do with the Various interpretations of my books, Min Benech Min Ahigoyen, whether you have his philosophy, you have his, his Tanakh. Some of it had to do with the awareness that indeed the certain questions and problems might come up in the study of Tanakh, which would not come up in a comparable way in the study of Gemara. And to be frank, to some extent, this also self perpetuating system. If you, you know, once at some point, you know, your forte has been Gemara uh, Lushenim, uh, you're not going to set up a yeshiva where that's not the, uh, the overwhelming element. Uh, so there's been a long tradition of that. Uh, there were always people at the very top who did indeed know Tanakh very well, but Many of whom did not bring to her the same degree of intense scrutiny that they brought to Tel Shem Al Peh. To take take a much Feinstein, for instance, new Tanakh back and forth, back and forth. But uh, he didn't learn it the way he learned. Learn Shas. Others of that generation I think, did answer more, much more seriously. Take two contemporaries, they were much more involved in Tanakh in a serious way. But uh, but even so, in the curricula of the Shivas, which they themselves had wider than them. Tanakh was not a very central, very dominant element. And by and large, I am fully comfortable with the primary emphasis upon Pantera Shabalpet uh, for various reasons. Uh, I think it's there that the primary confrontation which a Jew has with the British conversation in the positive sense, namely the normative context, because that's what is most characteristic of the Adams. We confront the Benishlulah not as a savior, as a redeemer. When we see those terms, we immediately, those of us who read Christian theology, immediately have Christian associations, even though Tzulah Begreli is nothing there. But we primarily Face the Venetian, she is really summing as Matsubi. And that's what Teoshwapen is all about, the world of Tsibu. It's a normative world. Some of Tarach is, some of Tarach is not. So by and large, I think the emphasis upon Teoshwapen is, 
it's important. Uh, it's in many respects also perhaps a ritual world. But I certainly think that the general ignorance of Torah, which was characteristic of much of the Yeshiva world, that is certainly unforgivable. Mother Lashalim was born in Tells, in the yard of the Tells Yeshiva. And Tells was in her bones, and she, I mean, she used to tell us that the joke in Tells was that someone knew the Pasik from the Gemara, and the Gemara he knew from the Taisa, and the Taisa he knew from the Ketzeis. So it was a joke. But the joke sometimes has something to uh, reveal something of the reality. And uh, a basic knowledge of Tanakh, simply all of the text on what's there, that certainly is important. And in many areas, of course, uh, much more than that. Hope with areas of Akshobe, Akshobe and Tanakh are absolutely related. There's no, first, there's no Tanakh without dealing with issues of Akshobe, no Akshobe without Tanakh. Akshobe is not philosophy. That's deeply rooted in Tanakh. Uh, and those areas need to be dealt with, and this I say without getting involved in the educational problems that came up, with the impact of Arimuna, etc. Leave that aside. Simply, if we're dealing with an ideal community of people of Aminim, they Aminim, also be important that they draw sustenance from Tanakh. And there are certain aspects of our, our fundamental spiritual self which is nourished by certain parts of Tanakh in a way that not all Tereshabal Peh will nourish. Chayv Lozhino was fond of quoting the medalist that says that David HaMelech asked that say the Tehillim should be given the status of the Goyim Baholos. But he says it, the medalist says that's what he asked for, then he said he was given. So apparently the Goyim didn't want to give that. The Goyim Baholos is superior to Tehillim. It's certain, but it's clear to all of us that without getting involved in grading Mishnais and Olas, as opposed to Pachimintilim, that the parts of our spiritual self which receive nourishment, derive strength and insight from Tilim, which we're not going to get from Mishnais and Olas, and Olas. We'll get other things there. But. So I think certainly it's important that that be there. There's been a re- bit of a revival in the uh, study of Tanakh, uh, last generation or two. I think some of that is hidden, some issues in Chutzlaretz as well. But of course, in Asi soil, it's been particularly significant. Uh, that probably has to do with, to some extent, the place of Tanakh, national life generally. Uh, don't want to adopt, you know, Ben-Gurian sense of skipping by Yisrishim, by Yisrishim, going back to by Yisrishim. But, you know, the sense that this is part of our historical reality, and therefore there's some conjunction of being in us as well as they were in us as well, and we have a polity as they had a polity, there's no question that there's been some interaction there. 
And that, I think, is made for some very fruitful developments, sometimes in problematic developments as well. But I think, uh, by and large, that it's, it's a positive development. I still think, and I say this notwithstanding the fact that probably an Ayushiva study of Tanakh has been developed more than almost any other place. But surely, including an Ayushiva, we want Teresh Malpeh, the learning Teresh Malpeh, to be the dominant, the overwhelming, central concern of Talmudim. But giving a respectable place to Teresh Malpeh as well. And of course, emphasizing the sense of their integral continuity. Now you ask about the Shivas, it wasn't clear to me, I address myself to the higher levels. If you're talking about what goes on or should go on, and what are called Shivas at a lower level, in states, elementary school, the Kodi Shivas too, or in high schools, um, think that you would have to consider, which is always a critical issue with about the high school curriculum, you have to consider with which population are you dealing with. You're dealing with a population which is going to be continuing, and for whom the years in high school are one phase or one stage in the term education, or you're dealing with people for whom, at least at the formal level, this is terminal. the extent that you deal with the second population, then uh, the need to try to chaperite as it were, and to deal with some problems of Ashkafe and Machshove, and the kind of texts which you're going to get into their guts more, uh, is not much greater. Uh, someone who is not continuing after high school, so much alarm is happening to be in any event, and uh, he does a little bit more, a little bit less, uh, one more masikhta, one less masikhta, another 40 pounds, more or less, that's not going to determine his spiritual being. But whether he has come to grips with some of the central issues of Avedis Hashem, which get right into the kishkas, as you have in very good parts of Tanakh, that uh, is going to be that much more important. But that has to, goes far beyond the questions of, uh, uh, of Tanakh as such, as to the structure of high school curriculums altogether. You ask with regard to girls' institutions as opposed to those for boys. Uh, I am, as you know, uh, keen on girls learning about it, but I, I think that I would entertain some distinction, I'll say this normatively. Uh, I think that certainly at the high school level, uh, part of the fact that I just mentioned, that the ratio of girls continuing subsequently to learn seriously for a number of years, obviously going to be considerably less that of boys. Possibly also, although one is not supposed to think, talk in these terms today, but to assume that it's a greater sense perhaps for girls relating to the emotional, the human aspect, the things which come more to the fore in Tanakh that perhaps they do in Lover Kammer or Gitan. 
partly also because of the attitude which they probably bring to this today. Maybe 50 years hence it will be different. But uh, today, you know, a girl who's asked to learn a lot of Gemara doesn't think that she's in the Hamela. She thinks either she makes her being imposed upon or being particularly challenged. She thinks she's being very, very different. And uh, a, <coughs> I think beyond she don't want to push that sense of difference for the, for the normal girl in the normal school. So I do, I am very much in favor of having both areas taught in both kinds of schools, but I, I would uh, probably be in favor of a different mix. Would you say the same with elementary school? Of a, of I think less so, but uh, maybe to some extent. I say less so because think that at least some of the elementary schools that I know, and I am not very much in touch with that field, uh, I find that they exaggerate the difference between boys and girls. I, my children went to Chorev, all six of them. And uh, my son started on Shnei in the second grade. Am I correct that? The daughters didn't begin until sixth grade. Is that correct? We complained about it, but uh, didn't help all that much, so we taught them at home. But uh, what do you have to do anyhow? Ravon, I'd like you to help me. There's a um, as I understand what you're saying, is that there are two moments, like there are like intellectual problems that have to do with yadus, with you know, questions. And they can be dealt with intellectually. It, it was, my feeling is that you're confident that on the intellectual level, Torah is all right. Uh, we can work it out. There'll be this challenge or that challenge or the other challenge. You know, we, we'll have opposition. On the other hand, at the beginning of one point in that conversation, when you talked about the obos and interpretation, you mentioned the word reverence. Personally, even though I've spent a lot of the, my time doing the first, you know, as well as I'm able, but all kinds of people come and ask me those kinds of questions. I've never found that answering those questions leads to reverence of any kind, or, or, or emuna of any kind, or, or uh, yerushamayim of any kind. All it does is deflect something, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't give uh, anything uh, reverential to the person that I'm talking to. On the other hand, in what you just said. You said that the confrontation with Dr. Gimura is the primary religious experience. And that I do understand, I mean, in my own meager way. And, and that means that you have to have a lot of respect 
for the Tannoi, for the Elohim, for everything that they said uh, within, you know, the most reverential context. And then you said that there's a place for Tanakh. And here again, I didn't quite get it, because Tehillim is Tefillah. I mean, certainly there's a place for Tefillah in the world. But the confrontation that takes place on the Dach Gemara goes through every single day of Jewish history and enterprise. And the confrontation that takes place in Tanakh is, is quite different. It's, it's sort of yesh me'ai, you know, people are coming to recreate some kind of uh, a non-existent tradition. Not entirely non-existent, I mean, there is Rashi. But since Rashi, except for the Malbim, who, who was learning Gemara inside out somehow, uh, we don't have any tradition that would imply that kind of reverential Yerashamayim kind of kind of position. So, I mean, can you learn Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, in that in that context? Uh, again, I, I would like to I, I'd like to hear more about um, the confrontation that takes place on the Daf Gemara, and if the confrontation takes place on the Daf Gemara. Shouldn't that be the determiner of the curriculum? And if that's the determiner of the curriculum, then then why should we let anything else in to satisfy, uh, you know, the the imagined needs of of one group of people or other? I mean, I mean, we've learned Gemara for three thousand years in a manner of speaking. Uh, I mean, as historical statement, but. That's where we have been. That is where our fruit height is. It's in the the Daf Gemara. So, isn't that what we should be doing? It isn't everything else kind of detracting from from that product of Yerushalayim that we have. That's what we have. We don't have anything else. We don't have. We don't have. I mean, that's where I see. That's where I see the issue. So I don't see it purely as like you know, some of the time you do this, and some of the time you do that. So I, you can work this out, you can work that out. I mean, I think that there is a clear position that tradition has adopted, and it is that you should learn about Gemara. And there isn't anything else to learn, really. And if you learn Tanakh. You should probably learn it through the Daf Gemara. I mean, I know, you know, I want to get back to that story and tell us, but what, what I mean is that if you don't have Shas, then, like, then that's what learning is about. So you want to learn Tanakh, so go learn Shas. And then learn some Tanakh along the way. If you want to do tricks in order to uh, uh, be the carry of some group of people who, for whom this is a, you know, a good wedge, or if saying that that uh, we adopting biblical criticism, as you say, is like we'll go, and uh, so maybe that's all right. But I mean, it's not, it's not essential to what we've been doing. First, let me respond to what you said, Sybil, about my previous responses. Uh, I respond to the question that you raised. I didn't, uh, you didn't ask me to come present ideally what a school or a society should be like, or should be all about. The particular issues which people were dealing with which either come out of their own experience or come out of what their, their projected experience or come out of their teaching experience. I think some are teaching, some are not. And uh, I don't think these <coughs> teachers are invented. I think the issues are real. I 
that need to be addressed uh, is the whole of Talmud Torah encompassed by responsive issues of race? Certainly not. And I would pretend that it was, and I would for the moment imagine. I made a point of stressing in response to one of the questions that we talk about building Yerushalayim, obviously we need to deal with much more than what was dealt with the concept of that particular question. Now, we've got the point that, that you raised. I think there are two independent points here. One is, what is the weight that we assign to dealing with issues intellectually as opposed to inculcating reference? In terms of our educational goals, what are we trying to do? The other is the question, assuming that we want a certain quotient of reverence, and for simplification's sake, we'll say that we can quantify you know, how much reverence we want and how much of intellection. Assuming that we can do that, and that's we're speaking very crudely, how do we best attain that? Do we best attain that by only learning Gemara, which you describe as being distilled reverence, uh, or by learning Tanakh, which you then described as being simply going through some stark narrative in Ezra Nehemiah, which uh, you think is not going to, to instill that kind of Yoshua. I am wholly in your camp. If we are, need to determine priorities of uh, reverence as opposed to intellectual analysis. Uh, there's no question that said it's not only true with regard to some kind of chronological sequence to what you start and what, what you move on to but it has to do with what do we prioritize in terms of what's more important, what's less important and uh, that I think is an absolute level pressure uh, I think there's no question but that we need to Build that this is admittedly flawed within the modern Latino community. We need to try to work on inculcating emotionally, existentially, that sense of awe, said for awe in general, awe for the Benchwater, awe before his revealed word, awe before his those who transmitted a interpreted revealed world. All these things certainly need to be inculcated. And they're critical, they're central, and no question they're ultimately more determinative of a person's religious stance than whether she knows the details of the names of Israeli or Azvedechem. But as to your other claim, namely that it's learning above it more or less exclusively that is going to be attained uh, and therefore that we ought to be learning only Gemara and Sama Tanakh Shosheva I would question that and I would question that in two, uh, two planes or at least there are two populations first of all and I admit that's not the ideal population, but certainly if you're talking about 
the ordinary population of the here Orman states, or Vesper in general, uh, you, in your opening remarks you focused upon high school students, uh, the high school age, kind of student population of people seated around here like to encounter, uh, they are, to my chagrin, and I say it with great pain, but they are not wholly enamored of uh, learning about it. They're, many of them are not turned on by it, some of them are turned off by it. It's a sad fact, a sad reflection of where they're coming from or where they're headed to. All of that is true. But we can't deny the fact. And we have to recognize that. And we cannot try to build a curriculum which should deal with some kind of hypothetical population which is not what we have there. Uh, and I say this lamenting the fact. Has to show I don't accept it. But I can't ignore it. We have responsibility with dealing with the spiritual future of boys and girls of high school age. And if we decide simply to build a curriculum which is in accordance with our ideology and our perception of what, his, what things were like in, in Morocco or in Poland 300 years ago, when we deal with this population, I think that uh, we're which we have. That's with regard to the population which we have. You know as well as I know that there is a, today in many, uh, many Shiva high schools in this country sense of crisis for not learning the Gemara. Uh, I lament it, I cry, I fight it, but I know that it's there. And uh, to assume that the answer to that is simply to give them more and more Gemara I think is simply factual and educationally not correct. But let us leave aside that population. Assume what we have over here is a sick population. Well, let's assume that all of these kids who, who can't quite connect up with Abayas, Abayas, and Robert, they are a kind of historical accident. Never so. So the Prime said, well, they're learning a Muslim, you know. They're sick, they need medicine. So the medicine is going to be Tanakh, so the Prime said medicine is, uh, is Muslim. But if we deal with a healthy population, then things will be different. Uh, I do not accept uh, your factual evaluation either, except when we got to one point. Uh, the statement that, which is what you're in effect of said, namely that if a person handles Nevoi uh, or even Ksuvi, but let's see if the ball Nevoi, person handles Nevoi, if he's a minor, Things this is said, either directly the Piyar Gvure or filtered through the personality of Novi, the Piyar Gvure. There he doesn't feel reverence, only you should have asked feel reverence. I don't see why that should be the case. I don't think this necessarily is the case. You are, I think, making a very unfair comparison. You are taking people who have traditionally given where they're coming from, traditionally approached the Bat Gemara because they approached Taylor, they approached the Ben Shleila with reverence. 
So they brought the reference to the Gemara. And they learned it within the context of the reference. As it should be approached. And they'll be saying, look, these were people who said, they had reference. And you assume that all the reverence came from what they were learning. But in fact, I think, it was an interaction. They brought reverence, which enabled them to get more reverence for what they were learning. But to assume they got it all only from their things and values. If you take that population as opposed to others who will come to Tanakh without the reverence, because that's a friar kind of population in your terms, and you say, aha, look at those simple Jews who learn Mishnayis or about Gemara and Kotsa and Chalab, and look at the, these people who are sitting around uh, reading articles in Magadi. Uh, <laughs> that is not, not a fair... I didn't say that. <laughs> I think it's not a fair comparison. I said, now, in one respect you are right, and this is an issue which I admit uh, people like myself have to deal with, and perhaps don't deal with with total success. And uh, this is the point which you raise the revival learning of Tanakh that runs counter to tradition. Mot Chabur says 600 years people didn't learn Tanakh. He's right. They didn't learn it seriously. Uh, So, uh, where do we get off doing something which Shach and Mitzayis didn't do? Uh, that I think was a serious issue uh, but you have to ask yourself you know, to what extent do you think that this has to have decisive weight and I say it's a problem for someone like myself because this is an argument against many other enterprises as well it's an argument against the development of music and literature any, anything else which was not done by the by the Shachim that says of course, wrestled with that to some extent, and uh, certainly much of what he has to say I don't accept. But, but it is an issue which I think at some point we need to, we do need to wrestle with. Without the learning of Tanakh, I, I think that going back in certain respects to the tradition of the Midrashim, Chazal didn't So, are we take, are we in effect now going to say, well, Chazal learned Tanakh, but the Shach didn't, so we're going to prefer the Shach over, over Chazal in this respect. Uh, I think the weight and the authority of certainly many major to shame. Is everything closed off with, uh, with Rashi? There is a this isn't pollution, the whole time wasn't very much. But, uh, but certainly the work they're living dealt with it in a serious way. I think to some extent what happened was that the word of Tanakh was preempted for those who were involved in the world of Machshavah by Machshavah. Because of the symbiotic relation I mentioned before, between Tanakh and Machshavah, so once you got off to Machshavah, he didn't deal with Tanakh textually because the themes were being dealt with when he wrote whatever the Ma'al wrote. But I do think it's a fertile area 
it's one which can engender reference. But I grant you that uh, same kind of feelings which you're going to get from reading Nachum uh, Chabakuk, you're not going to get from Azulichem. Uh, that's true. And in order to have the sense of uplift, probably have to bring to Ezra Nechemia a greater degree of prior antecedent reference that you need to bring to Nachum Chabakuk because they're part of what produces the reference. But I would not accept a factual statement that Reverence is induced only by Tereshim Alpena, Tereshim Yitzhak. But having said all that, I want to come back to what I said previously, and I want to be misunderstood. I am Chaim's camp with regard to the centrality and primacy in a very dominant way of the of Tereshim Among other things, also because of the point that he, which he mentioned, which I referred to previously, the fact that this has been traditionally done, and there's no tradition which stands behind it. But I would not speak of exclusivity, and I think there's certainly a great deal to be gained from the reign of Tanakh in, in religious terms, and certainly the, uh, the people who are my magabain, uh, that includes the uh, footman and more people who dealt with areas of Tanakh in, in a serious way. Simi, it seems to me you have something on your mind. Yes, you know, this, <laughs> I, I, it just struck me listening to this discussion that there is another tradition probably from within which to look at all these educational issues, which is not a very old tradition, it's approximately 250 years old. But it struck me that this was a very, very Lutherish conversation. This <laughs> emphasis on, on um, Gemara, or even Tanakh, mostly in terms of intellect, you're supposed to come with the reverence to these things and study them with the reverence and then uh, well, add to the reverence. Uh, you know, I think there's whole areas that, that aren't, aren't being dealt with at all when we talk about you know, learning either only the black and our ideal, which, you know, again, if you're, if you come as a time to black and our, that, that's great, but that's, as Rafa as, uh, pointed out, that's not the educational world we have it. Um, but even in Tanakh, I mean, there's, there's been no discussion here of. of uh, Machshava, Chassidus, Moser, any any of the other disciplines that deal directly and specifically with the whole um, development of the adult, of the child, of the adult, so they can approach with reverence any types of ability. And um, I think even in an ideal population, you're going to have to ask yourself, the ideal population that you know, runs through the month, and I have to ask myself, how is that ideal, idealized reverence created? And there's been no like discussion of how one creates that reverence, especially as our reporters and points out, the inevitable that reverence is just not given at all. And uh, you know, I just it just seems to be so far removed from the educational world we all inhabit. And I, you know, I think my kids are in the Khabari system, for example. You know, my my son said to me, 
two things. The first thing he started with Arrhenius, which struck me very much. One was he said, he said, Rakhayim is he's ready, he gave him such a Torah that, you know, it was worth switching from the school he's in to this school to get this Abad Torah, but he also so this is very good and then about a week later, he said, you think anybody likes learning the modern mommy? <laughs> he's a very bright kid. He likes it. He's good at it. He's, he enjoys it. He learns it all. And he learns in school. But, you know, when I, when I complained to him that he didn't want to sit another half hour on Shabbat with his father, he said, you think anybody likes the modern mommy? So something is not being communicated. Something before, before, the, before the block, before the, the puzzle, before the anything. Something not being communicated earlier to make the child... Sit and be patient. Child, the teenage sit and be patient, and then that's up to run. I certainly agree with your critique. I just don't want to use the term earlier because I think that's not the whole of the issue. The term earlier suggests that somehow, you know, as the Mishnah has a sequence, what you learn first, what you learn later, so we're going to have also a sequence that's what we thought you asked us to go First, you go to Pump Food, and then we move on to Chalk. To some extent, that of course is what we, what we do, what we need to do. But that's something that you do, not necessarily within a school context, not necessarily within a learning context, in our sense of the term. Probably what, you know, what a young child learns in terms of uh, that is the norm in life, and the presence of the Rebbe for the age of six, it's probably more important than anything he's going to learn afterwards. Uh, if he's internalized that fully. Uh, so to some extent, there is really a, a sequential element, but this is not something which you can say, well, the early part of life, we pump fully in Shemayim, and then we can put on the learning track and let everything to proceed. The concern with the experiential element emotional aspects, that is something which has to continue straight through. And uh, uh, all the more so, as you indicated, uh, given the overall sociological context within which you know, we find ourselves, the Talmudian find themselves, uh, we have to count all kinds of other elements of influences with which they come into contact. Uh, I fully, uh, fully agree with that. Uh, I don't uh, mean to suggest for a moment that uh, the only issues are issues is to learn Tanakh and to learn Ramah. Again, I responded to some questions were raised, but uh, certainly that is of critical importance. And what's even more crucial in this respect is that it's hard to. Uh, to give courses in that, you know, you give courses in pedagogy, and courses in this, course that. But of course, in how to convey your shalim, uh, it's very difficult. Uh, one has to have, a, first of all, a sense of the tremendous value, and not just your shalim, the word Kaviyama's shalim. Uh, a sense of the value of that. And uh, first and foremost, what you mentioned about your son's revenue, person's got to feel that in every pore of his being, or her being, to be able to communicate that to, to Talmudian. 
So it's not only working on them, it's working on ourselves, particularly uh, to maintain the freshness of vitality, even of the Kadosh. I fully agree with that. Whether the mode of doing that is through, through Musa or through Makshara or through Sidus, the very thing that you mentioned, uh, I think you have to, you know, in some populations, whether Musa did wonders. Uh, for others, uh, just can't be presented, it's just not a serious alternative. And likewise, some of the things that you mentioned. But uh, I couldn't agree more with the basic thrust of your comments. And I hope whatever was said previously is not understood as minimizing in any way the importance of the experiential, the passional, the spiritual elements. Uh, these are critical, these are central. Uh, and optimally, of course, what we want to do is to attain an an organic integration of the learning in the narrow sense of the term with the other elements that you mentioned. As I've said, some of the things done sequentially because a person has got to bring to a Dafka mother a certain sense of, of awe for, for Chazal, etc. And hopefully, as he finds himself bonded more and more with the learning, the most bond with them, uh, to them, bond with Just ask as a follow up to that question uh, if it's true, as I imagine you'll agree, that uh, as educators, uh, the battle for reverence, uh, the battle is often lost before we ever encounter even the youngest students. The battle is, is, is fought against uh, sociological phenomena. What can or ought uh, educational leaders or, or communal leaders or rabbinic leaders, uh, what could we be doing uh, in that sociological way? So if we could take a situation in which the degree of contact, certain inimical elements would be diminished, plateaued. Uh, over there, in many cases, we have relatively little control given the homes and the context in which people are coming. Uh, what I think we can do is uh, try to radiate a sense of the depth in which we feel uh, reverence, etc. Uh, if someone is involved in a, in a kila, try to uh, see what he can do within the community to generate some sense of this. Uh, but whether the drush is going to do more than the classroom presentation, I don't know. Uh, there are certain things which I would like to see much more of in, in our world, which we don't have enough, and this is a, simply the factual level, the, an awareness of, of the tradition of the Israel work. Once wrote, not only half a jest, you have modern, modern Orthodox kids and all about the Rolling Stones and nothing but the Abdenazim. 
I think Pegasus and Maisal, I think there was value in those little cards that the, the kids play instead of modern authors or baseball cards or what have you. I think something like that. Use some fair breed. Whatever would help bring uh, bring children closer to the world of the soil. Uh, not a simple learning site. Simply know who they were, where they were, what they did, have a sense of mission. I think uh, I think it would be a value. But uh, first and foremost what is it that the adults around them radiate? I know it's late and uh, this might be a little bit of a difficult question, but we've been talking about the issues that people hear about, the questions and struggles they have. I would be curious to know from both of you, what, what are some of the educational issues that you struggle with? Or have, you know, have you resolved them or continue to struggle with them? I don't think we resolve them. We try to cope with them. But uh, in my experience, at least, and I imagine that if I had a different population, I would have different problems. But I think probably it's the nature of the educational enterprise and sort of partly the nature of myself as an educator to have a sense you know, never of clo- the curtain closing but always of trying to cope uh, trying to relate uh, but uh, Mittal likes to quote the word of the Kotzke Moses so this is usually understood to me then you get away from it Kotzka said, "Well, Shkabes said, 'I don't know if you need a different manuver.' And I so. And I think we have to view education as we have to view our own existence as a constant. It's rather as a battle that you know, sounds to, but constant effort to not only to sustain but to grow. Also bearing in mind uh, that." Sometimes as Mechanchim we find that if you're on a treadmill and you have to run quickly you just not stand still also. <coughs> the uh, the primary issues are uh, I guess in two areas uh, which relate to something we've been discussing. One uh, has to do with the Use, well, maybe three, I would say. The uh, spirituality, the extent that we succeed in building people whose fundamental makeup, whose orientation, whose values, or even in the broad sense of the term, uh, spiritual. Uh, second, the question of motivation. Uh, our return turn people on uh, to learn things which I myself I think many people of the Chinook love passionately and uh, don't always succeed in communicating that passion to others 
and it's painful. You see something, it's wonderful. Somebody can't get someone to see the, the wonder of it, and for him it's just a, just a chore. And those, and uh, of course, more specifically, here you have at two levels, both uh, as a quality of heart and mind and being, and that has to do with faith, not simply with belief, but with faith to help the people with giving my meaning, look to the Venetian, the trust the Venetian, they live that kind of a life. Uh, and also, my more specific area of Amunis for Davis, moving from terms of college dichotomy from faith to belief. Chadoshim Labkorim, we encounter all kinds of tendencies and inclinations and nuances which, in one respect or another, diverge from uh, tradition as we experience it, as we've inherited it, as we want to be transmitted. And, uh, and it's a problem. It's a problem because we deal with a population which is open and exposed to certain respects and uh, <coughs> the things are picked up and then you find yourself more conservative with the lowercase c than than you want to be, uh, but uh, almost driven to uh, to guard the uh, guard the various. Uh, what you want to do is to develop them, communicate them. But these are all concerns which uh, which I find. I can't tell you techniques. Specific patentings for dealing with these issues. Uh, I think anybody who's in Chinook has only partial success. The footnote always to say that you never know where the success and the failure is coming from. You're always surprised. Uh, I think, first and foremost, one has to try to communicate a sense of his own commitment, his own involvement. That not, not running around in the sense I'm going to be a model, but if you can be yourself and communicate something of the values that hopefully are yourself, I think that probably is the single most effective thing that a person can do. Uh, some things can be dealt with uh, more directly and shroom of one kind or another and sikhod one kind or another. Uh, but uh, I don't know whether what I could tell you a particular curriculum of dealing with issues of this kind and another kind. Uh, all of a sudden done, the, the challenge is both the, the glory and the frustration of Chinuch is uh, dealing with Try to mold people, create people, and uh, they're not like uh, not like plastilina, not even like musical notations. But you can create what you want. Uh, they are malleable up to a point, but they can also talk back and think back. And it's, 
enormously difficult undertaking. As I told, told Talmudim, I encourage them to go to Chinu, told them that in comparison with most other careers, I said, oh, most other careers, the highs and the lows, a much greater distance between them than if someone the computers. I told them it's not like a sign curve, it's like a cosine curve. And uh, I think that's the wonder of it. Uh, that also is many times the enormous frustration. Anybody goes to Kirk tells you they're frustrated. It's absolutely a lot. That's the point. I'm not a response. Yeah, that was maybe one or two more questions. There, anyway. Anyone is welcome to ask. I was wondering what the answer to the question about exactly inside. How did you answer this? Oh, the question which. Uh, he was talking about. Well, he was talking about a twelve-year-old child. I'm not sure that I would know how to ask a twelve-year-old child fully, but uh, obviously one has to presuppose, and this is what I just mentioned, presuppose that uh, being in that kurabazel was a, a creative and a very meaningful. Experience. There's a long tradition of that. The term Kula Basel as such, which you have in the Pussy, will suggest that the forge, not simply that area of suffering. Uh, Zion speaks of uh, rose among thistles. That's because it's uh, developed by being there, by being exposed. Uh, but one would have to communicate some sense of uh, goals being not simply goals inside being not simply a punishment, but some some way of sort of creative experience uh, and a positive one. Although obviously, and this raises other kinds of questions. It's so much the company with so much suffering, so much pain, and then you have to deal with the question of individual suffering as. As opposed to uh, to collective good, uh, which means other kinds of issues. I want to discuss the more than once. Maaseret uh, says that Chazal say that Chaval Adavla Mishtakim. The Rishon complained. The Rishon of the Gemara that I told Avram, Avram needs to be Yaakov. I told ABC that I never complained that you. Complain about Basel Pala. What was talking about? She didn't have such a money. So, I think the point is that, of course, Moshe may have understood that eventually promise you ought to be kept. She is a cool idea to be kept. But, meanwhile, the, the infants being thrown into the river, and others being buried among the bricks. And, of course, from a certain particular essentialist perspective, no ultimate goods going to atone for the infants of the river. Maybe that kid, maybe Sean would have raised that kind of a question too. That 
to deal with that issue, move from one issue to the other. But uh, clearly, the sense that we're not put in time soon to be tortured or to be exposed to torture, but this is part of the experience of the book, Chesis Yisrael, that uh, something we obviously assume. Uh, then, see, that's what Moses would extent the, the collapse of medical tradition is a result of the fact that there wasn't kids growing up in their homes there wasn't much mimesis, there wasn't much to imitate uh, that is a, a sad fact that was accompanied by certain unfortunate elements we all know people who Grown up, uh, young people today growing up uh, who uh, owe whatever they have in terms of Yiddish care and sense of their parents, but who are condescending to the parents. Uh, even some of the parents who know something. Uh, the parents are not full enough, there are a lot of them. But there is the recognition of the sacrifices which were made by the parents in order to send them to Yeshiva Sambalot. But but in terms of you know, being able to see what rich, suffusive life I mean, is like, unfortunately, in many homes, really, the kids can't pick it up. And uh, then the either the mimesis is not in the home, but they mimic the Rosh Hashira, whatever, wherever it is, or everything is poured into you know, textual analysis. Uh, but this is not an ideal situation. Uh, ideally, certainly one wants to see the two things going hand in hand. 
a certain point of view, ideally, if the father could be the one to be teaching, it would be even better. But this kind of work once uh, spoken, it's published also, as he said that Mambo Abasa, which says that Zohu was Aisish Natoi, was Yishu Bengamu Shumai, she wanted to talk to him in Israel, I said the educational system, you said historians and Maskilim, see that as a great day when the educational system was established as a system of formal school. He said, in truth, that was a response to crisis. It was a breakdown of what ought to have been. He said, Ideally, but a situation developed in which the fathers were all the capable of teaching the children. So then they had, a, they had to have schools. But ideally, certainly, the nomadic and the textual traditions of these could close and these could be interwoven and within the context of a genuine personal relation. That's all for the better. So if you ask me, tilting here, tilting there, so much depends on what what is there to imitate in the home from which, or in the community for that matter. In some cases, it's not just the home. It's, it's the whole context. Where are they coming? And in this respect, of course, the Shoah did a lot, but not only the Shoah. Many of the songs we, we discussed this evening antedate the Shoah. The situation in Poland, Lithuania between the wars was also very, very problematic in many, many respects. So, but but I would not want to say do this and do that. Uh, we have to try to develop both. <coughs> Among other things, we also want to indicate respect for the context in which they are coming. Even if, even if father and mother know little, even if they observe little, we want respect for them to be engendered. And I think that that's the God of the Tom Lina. So, let's not oppose these motives. I want to thank Rebarra on behalf of the entire group. I hope we'll be able to uh, get together again in the future. Yeah. That's another thing. <laughs> well. I've got to keep trying. <laughs> uh, personally, I, I, to, I would like to thank Rebarra because uh, for me, listening to someone talk even about things that are... Um, sort of conversational, but within the context of the Torah knowledge that he brings to bear, is for me, in any event, uh, an experience that induces reverence. So, I thank you for that. Thank you very Uh, much.